your email with one of us, your email. We send out emails, um, we're not on TikTok yet, um, but we, we do emails and that's how we stay in touch, pretty much for that besides the, uh, the webpage. Um, let's see, uh, if you, on Saturdays, like today, the prayer room opens at five. We have a devotional set that Nicole does at five. Carla uh, in the back starts to set at six. Um, I got here a little after six, and I was pretty discouraged yesterday. And I was here uh, about five minutes, and I was trying hard to remember what it was I was discouraged about. I could not remember. I mean, I could not. I still can't remember. <laughs> and so. There's something about the atmosphere of somebody worshiping the unseen God, the unseen creator God, coming into that atmosphere, sensing that, buying into it, falling in love with the unseen God that, that clears away a lot of stuff. I highly recommend it. I highly, if you can make it uh, earlier, and any of the sets this week, these are valid prayer times. Um, so, we are doing a series of messages on prayer. Uh, weird for a prayer room. We have people that are coming to this prayer room and pray some 15, 20 hours every week. You would think that we would have a pretty good sense of prayer, and I think we do. Um, and so it's a, with a little bit of fear and trepidation that I'm even talking about some of this stuff because some of you know the deep places of prayer far better than I do. Some of you know uh, hours and hours spent just in and loving gaze with the Lord far better than I do. Some of you have been praying for far longer than I have. Uh, I just think that it's useful for us to kind of come together and maybe handle a few things that are little tweaks or little, um, uh, you know, instructions about, about how it's, it's helping. Um, I've been encouraged. I mean, maybe I'm doing this just for me, and y'all are just sort of the victims of my own self-help because I, I've been self-personally encouraged by it. It's helped me. Um, and we want to grow in this. We want to grow in prayer. We want to grow in our ability to talk to God. Why? It's because of what we talked about last week. God is is that. That's how we encounter Him. We encounter Him through conversation. There really isn't any other way. We encounter Him by talking to Him on a routine basis. So um, today, I want to talk uh, about um, uh, putting God first and and a, a little bit about. And this is really uh, dangerous. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Trinity. Oh my gosh. Uh, you guys are so, so tricky. Uh, we'll, we'll try and navigate it the best we can. We're going to start off by saying the ultimate, uh, the, uh, ultimate reality of life, Jesus laid it out for us. He was asked by, uh, by a, uh, a person who came up and asked, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said uh, to him in, in uh, Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. This is, um, this is the most important thing that you do in life. And so growing in prayer is deeply connected with embracing that, that first commandment. Uh, it's, it's what the, the Holy Spirit is establishing in, in the highest priority in the church right now. Um, and so... And, and it's not our idea. Uh, we didn't come up with it. You guys did not come up with the idea that wouldn't it be cool if we could love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It was God commanding that to us, saying it is best for you. The way that life works best is if you set this as your absolute highest priority. Nothing higher than that. And everything flows from that. 
Um, and so God uh, uh, is, it, what it does is it expresses this ultimate reality of a community. Uh, believe it or not, we have, God has this, this community. We, we fall in love with a community, meaning it's a triune God. It, and, and so there, there's this ultimate love relationship going on between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a, I mean, it's way beyond friendship, but think about the deepest friendship that you have, and you've got, the, you've got a sense for what that community is like. And so God's heart burning with perfect love within the fellowship of these three persons of the Trinity, uh, that's wholehearted love, and that's what we're trying to fall in love with. Um, we understand the first commandment best, best by seeing it in the eternal context of the community of the Godhead. That's, that's really what I was trying to say just now. Um, so our foundational premise uh, in scripture is that God loves us with the same intensity that, that God loves God. That, if you sit and just kind of let that sink in through the skin and the bone and the, and the tissue of your brain and let it kind of dwell in there, you've got to be amazed that, that, that that's even true. But it is true that God loves us with the same intensity that is happening in the triunity of the Godhead. That's what John 17, 22 says. That's what Jesus was praying. Jesus, one of the members of the Godhead, is praying in John 17, that, Lord, you said, I, you have given me to them that they may be one just as we are one. That's the one that he's talking about. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and so that the world may know that you love them even as you have loved me. You have loved them even, though, even as you have loved me. It's, it's an astounding reality. It's, it's, so, it's so astounding that it can kind of glance right off your head. And, and, and make you kind of just like, yeah, what's, what's next? But it is exactly what's going on in the Godhead. And why is that important to prayer? Because that's, I mean, over and over tonight, I want us to get the fact that when we come to prayer, when we come into and we start praying, we are praying to a triunity that knows us and really, really loves us. He really, really is welcoming us. He really, really wants us to talk to him. Um, and he loves us that intently. So, um, but if you're like me, on, on your typical days, on your kind of average run-of-the-mill days, um, it'll seem like um, too, kind of too good to be true, kind of like a dream. Um, uh, and you just barely believe it. You just barely believe that the God of the universe loves you that way. That's a typical day that, for, for me, maybe for many of you. Um, on your worst days, you think, well, no way. No way does he know me that way. Maybe some of the saints, Maybe some dead guys that lived far ago, far long ago that I've heard about people in scripture, but no way does he love me that way. But on your best days, when it touches you, when you actually get to where you believe it and you get a touch of the spirit, um, it, it can lead to literal ecstasy. I mean, that's the word that, that saints and that, that uh, apostles have used, an ecstatic sense of, oh my goodness, it's really true. And, and when those times come, they're rare for me. I, I pray they're not rare for you. They are, they are worth everything. Um, so we have to abide in and stay focused on this truth that as the Father loves me, I have also loved you. Uh, that's what Jesus said. And so abide in that love.
Um, our best moments of our lives are experienced as we participate in this burning love and the family dynamics of the Trinity. And we can have a lifetime of these perfect moments. Um, so, God's love for God. I am way out of my league in talking about this. I just want to let you know. Um, and so I'm bringing in some heavy hitters uh, to help me. I've got C.S. Lewis. He's going to be talking to us. got Tim Keller uh, who's going to be talking to us because uh, when we start to talk about the Trinity, uh, I've never heard anybody give a complete, perfect explanation. I will tell you that if you look in the Bible, front to back, and you look for the word Trinity in the Bible, you will not find it. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. What is, and, that, and that's why when the Jews recite the Shema, when they say, Lord our God is one, they are very offended at the sense that there's a Trinity. But if you look in the Bible and you look at the plurality, how many times God is mentioned as more than one, you will see it over and over and over again. And as you start to distinct, as theologians have done throughout history, and as I've, I've seen myself, you can you get down to where, well, it's certainly clear that the God the Father is God. It's very clear that Jesus himself prayed, prayed to, uh, declared himself to be God. And it's very clear that the Holy Spirit declared himself to be God. And so theologians have assembled this, this sense that, there's, that that's the Trinity. And the more that we fall into it, the more we realize that makes perfect sense in so many different ways. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but there is a God who forever dwells in three distinct, co-equal, divine people. Uh, they're persons. Uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they each possess all of God's attributes. Um, each one is different from the other in function, uh, but they are fully unified. And so Tim Keller, here, here's what Tim Keller says. If God were impersonal, like the Eastern religions teach, um, then love would be an illusion. We can go further, we can even say that if God were only unipersonal, that is, if you were only one person, if he was just one, um, uh, and that's the only entity that we have, well then he, we could not have appeared until after he had created other things. And that would mean that God was mostly power, and that he was more power than he is love. Uh, and love would be not as important as power. But the Christian doctrine of Trinity teaches that there is one God in three persons who have known and loved one another be from before the dawn of time. They've known and loved each other before the creation of the world. This thing was happening with them, this, this unity was happening with them before the creation of the world. Um, and so therefore, if God is, is triune, uh, then words and language are seen in a new light, meaning that that's how, that's how the love is expressed, through words. Again, that's why we're talking about prayer. C.S. Lewis gives this explanation, which I find helpful. I hope, I hope that you do. Uh, in mere Christianity. He says, God is a being which contains three persons, while remaining one being. The first person is called the Father, and the second is the Son. We say that the first begets or produces the second. We call it begetting, not making, because what he produces is of the same kind as himself. The Son exists because the Father exists, and there was never a time before the Father produced the Son. He is always, so to speak, streaming forth from the Father, like light from a lamp, or like thoughts from a mind. He is the self-expression of the Father, what the Father has to say. And there was never a time when he was not saying it. And the most important thing to know is that it's a relationship of love. The Father delights 
in the Son. The Son looks up to the Father. And so what Christians mean by the statement, God is love, is that this living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever, and way before he created anything else. In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but he's a dynamic, pulsing activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you would think me, uh, if you would not think me irreverent, says C.S. Lewis, it's a kind of dance. That's the way he describes the Trinity. And so you, you have this sense of the three beings almost, in, in almost, I mean, just as a model for what we understand it, as a model of a dance with one another, this love relationship. And, and that love relationship invites us in. And so as we pray, that is what you're praying. That is how you're praying. That is whom you are praying to. Going further, I think I put this in your notes as well. The union between Father and Son is such a live, concrete thing that this union itself is also a person. I know this has almost been inconceivable, but look at it like this. You know that among human beings, when they get together in a family or a club or a trade union, they talk about the spirit of that family or the club or the trade union. And they talk about its spirit because the individual members, when they are together, do really develop a particular way of talking and behaving that they would not have had if they were apart, which is true. We've all experienced that. It's as if a sort of communal personality came into existence. Of course, it's not a real person. It's rather like a person. <coughs> but that is just one of the differences between God and us. What grows out of the joint life of the Father and the Son is a real person. It is, in fact, the third of the three persons who are God. The third person is called, in technical language, the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. Don't be surprised or worried if you find him rather vaguer or more shadowy in your mind than the other two. I think there's a reason why that must be so, says C.S. Lewis, continuing. He, in the Christian life, you're not usually looking at him. He's always acting through you. And if you think of the Father as something out there in front of you, and the Son as someone standing at your side helping you to pray, trying to turn you into another son, then you have to think of the third person as something inside of you or behind you. Perhaps some people might find it easier to begin with the third person to work backwards. But God is love, and that love works through men, especially through the whole community of Christians. But this spirit of love from all eternity is a love going on between the Father and the Son. That's what we enter into when we pray, that, that sense. That's why uh, Bickle, Mike Bickle, who is um, a leader in the Kansas City House of Prayer, is going through John 14 through 17 right now. And, and uh, it, it talks about this life uh, within the Godhead that came before came to earth before, um, before uh, Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus said, God, restore to me, Father, restore to me the glory which I had before the world began. And so he's speaking the words that he received of the, of the Father in John 17. Um, and he speaks by words. That's, that's prayer. So we know no joy higher than being loved and loving in return by this triune God. Um, so God's burning heart, it has five distinct uh, expressions. I've just talked about God's love for, love, for God. Uh, I want to talk about a few of these just real quickly, but I'll, I'll say the five. God's love for God, God's love for his people, our love for God, our love for ourselves, and our love for others. Those, those five. 
So we talked about God's love for, for God. That's the way that God loves within the Trinity. It's the only way that he loves us within the context of the Trinity. And he always loves in fullness. His love doesn't shrink. It doesn't grow because it's infinite in measure and it's eternal in duration. It's always exactly the same. It's not, it's not enhanced by our coming to him. It's not diminished when we turn our, our eyes away from him. Um, and he doesn't love us with only part of his love, for that would deny his character. Jesus has joy and enthusiasm in his love for the Father. And so he's moving uh, and loving the Father and being loved by him. And one implication of this is that Jesus loves his relationship with his people. And that's an expression of how much he loves his relationship with his Father, that joy. Um, in terms of God's love for his people, Jesus declared that he loves us with the same intensity with which the Father loves him, John, John 15, 9. That was that, that's that uh, vine passage. You know, you're in the vine, abide in me. Um, just as the Father loves me, so I love you. And so the Father also loves us with that same intensity. That's John 17, 23, where Jesus was praying. He didn't create humans because he was lonely. He didn't create humans because he, he had a, an emotional need. He created them to participate in this fellowship because he is love. God doesn't lack anything. He has no need. And he wanted others to experience the joy of that trinity. We won't love God more by trying to love harder, but instead by trying to see more of his love for us. But in terms of our love for ourselves, this is a big one. Because we have indescribable value and worth to Jesus. And seeing this changes the way that we feel about God and the way we feel about uh, others. Um, Jesus said, you know, the first, the most important thing in life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second most important commandment is to love others as yourself. And so the, the redeemed are to love themselves in God's love for God's sake. Um, and so we love ourselves through the lens of the revelation of Jesus, his cross and our great worth to him. Um, the problem is that we oftentimes don't love ourselves very much. And the, and the problem with that is you cannot love somebody else more than you love yourself. Jesus said, I want you to love others as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself very much, you can't love them more than the degree to which you love yourself. And so that's why it's a big agenda item for darkness to have you keep thinking over and over again about your failures, about where you've messed up. That's why he's called the accuser. That's why Satan is called the accuser because you will keep dwelling on those things and you will basically decide I'm not really worth that much. I really love myself very much. And that's when you start to turn that angry heart away back to others. Um, the Bible calls us both to love ourselves and also to hate our lives. Right? We are to love who we are in Christ, our new identity in Christ, and we're to hate who we are outside of Christ and what we do outside of God's will. But we magnify Jesus as we love ourselves in agreement with his love. And we honor his investment with us. He, he invested in us. So that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, where he invested his whole life in us. And so he delights in who we are in the grace of God. And he wants us to love that person that we love. That's really important. And, and so we don't, um, we don't need to be uh, striving to get the eyes of people to recognize our accomplishment. 
we want to be liberated from this self-hatred so that we don't uh, wish that we were somebody else. We don't think that we, uh, we don't despise the way we look. We don't despise our gifting. We don't despise our life assignment. Um, we thank Jesus for who we are in him and for the unchangeable aspects of our appearance of abilities, personality, life circumstances, the family that we came from, the parents that we have, the nationalities, etc. Uh, because God wants us to enter into the feelings that he has for us. And that helps us in our love for others. We're to love others in the overflow of God's very own love. And he wants us to enter into how he feels about, uh, about others. So those first and second commandments are deeply connected to one another, and they can't be walked out separately. Um, in fact, the Sermon on the Mount, we're here in the prayer room, we are big on three things. Sermon on the Mount, living, uh, end time study, and uh, uh, intimacy with the Lord. Um, I mean, tender intimacy as an affectionate intimacy with the Lord. Sermon on the Mount would have us love people who mistreat us because God loves them as, as he loves us. So, uh, I want to read this paragraph. It's my last C.S. Lewis quote because I love C.S. Lewis. And I've read this many times before, but I, I, uh, I always think of it, and I hope you do too. Uh, in, in The Weight of Glory, he said, you know, it's a very serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as if you now meet at all, you would only meet him in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of those destinations. And it's in light of these overwhelming possibilities and, and with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all our love, all our politics, all of our play. There are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, those are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, but it is the immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, who we marry, who we snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So, what does it all have to do with prayer? When we come to converse with God, we enter into this long-standing community of love that has existed before us and without us, but that wants us. This triune community loves us. And we're not just speaking words into the air. We become part of that dance that C.S. Lewis was talking about. Us in all of our weakness and all of our messes and all of our ba terrible backgrounds, all of our failures. So that's what we do when we're going to do right now, actually, Danny. We're going to even bring the team up and we'll, we'll get started. We're going, to, we're going to pray with music as a background. But I want to encourage us that every time we bend our knees to pray, every time we engage in the Lord, um, it's really helpful, maybe even powerful, to have the reality of the triune interplay, the triune dance of love that you are entering into and also to keep in mind who it is that you're praying with. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray right now, 
And I'm going to take just a, uh, about 10 seconds of silence just to kind of engage with this triune God. So Father, make your presence known to us. Even now, I know that you welcome our prayers. And so would you let us sense at some level your presence. 